welcome to Align, Don't Hustle, bringing you inspiration for alignment and abundance in your life and business. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we live, work and play. We encourage everyone to learn about and celebrate the rich and diverse First Nations cultures. I'm Matilda, co-founder of Myoni. And at Myoni, we want to improve how people feel about periods and flow with the four phases of their menstrual cycle. We're also huge advocates for identifying flow in other areas of our lives, using our passions to help guide the way we build our lives and businesses. That's why we created Align Don't Hustle. In this podcast, we share the stories and learnings of people creating a life they love. We found that while building Myoni, when we stopped pushing the proverbial uphill and stopped hustling for the sake of it, we were able to step back, make better decisions, listen to our gut, align with our heart, womb, whole being, and our menstrual cycles. To learn more about Myoni and sign up to our email, visit myoni.love. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is a candid chat with Joe Caminuti, an amazing accomplished artist based in Victoria in Australia. We talk everything from her life journey through to her, where she is now as an artist of metalwork. And um, we talk about the things she's had to overcome to bring her passions and her knowledge into alignment through different stages of her life. So at first challenging the gender norms in schools and um, advocating for woodwork and metalwork for girls, um, all the way through to being a scientist and being one of the only females in her field and now where she is as an accomplished metalwork artist, having had exhibitions and public works, um, it's amazing to hear her story. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. We're excited to chat today and to hear more about you. So you're an artist based in Victoria at the moment. Um, That's and correct. A little bit challenging at the moment with certain things happening in the world. <laughs> but we'd love to chat to you a bit more about your background and your experiences um, and your journey to becoming an artist and the kinds of things that you're doing in the community at the moment. Okay. Wow, that's a that's a big start. So I'll go right back when I was a little girl. <laughs> Look, thanks so much for having me. This is this is lovely, and especially at the moment, you know, in Victoria, we're doing it pretty rough. Melbourne's really locked down. I'm in country Victoria, regional Victoria. So tonight we're entering stage three again. So there's no, you know, only going out for 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 care for essential shopping and work and school if you can't do it from home. So yeah, it's pretty pretty constrained. But then I live on 13 acres and I have a small holding where I raise my own animals and you know grow my own veggies. So, and do my art from my studio here in the old cow shed that was on the property. So I don't get out much anyway. <laughs> so it hasn't made a great deal of difference to my day-to-day kind of existence I just only shop about once a fortnight instead of once a week that's so that's yeah that's a place to be really and in this time of reflection and you know regrowth and things that are happening as well people are finding that time to do those things that's great yeah we're really privileged to have this space around us in this beautiful place so 
I, I really feel for people in apartments and, you know, who are really stuck. You know, I, there's people, I, you know, you, I, there was one meme that I really like, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Yeah. And, you know, some people's boats are pretty, pretty leaky and pretty shoddy and others are in luxury cruisers. And I feel like we're in a luxury cruiser by comparison because we have the space and the beauty and, and things to do when life just goes on. Yeah. Yep. So I did grow up on a farm in Northern Victoria. So I've got that farm upbringing. And again, that you didn't, see any other kids over the whole summer holidays because you're on the farm your parents weren't running you around places we didn't do sports or anything like that it was too far into town to to bother so it, it all is a bit strange for me the way people are reacting because it's like yeah isn't that normal you know <laughs> like you don't go anywhere you just occupy yourself but anyway um so I had that farm upbringing and a really practical upbringing. Um, my dad would, he would get the old boiler tubes dropped off from the factory refit from the milk factory. And then he'd make sheds and caravan sheds and workshops and, and all sorts of things out of it with no plans drawn up. He'd just cut them up and weld them up. And I'd ask him, you know, can I help? And he'd just throw you the angle grinder. Yeah, grind the rust off this, you know, <laughs> like there was no plan. There was no explanation and he'd make the most amazing stuff. So I suppose that instilled in me that, you know, you just do stuff and you can do it. You know, you just have a go and, and we'd go to the tip, we were real tip rats. We'd take half a ute load of stuff to the tip and come back with a full ute load of scrap <laughs> and all sorts of stuff to make things out of and, you know, build stuff on the farm. So I, I had that kind of affinity for scrap metal and just constructing things from the farm upbringing and my mum is a wonderful lady she worked in the in the 50s she worked any number of jobs and 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 then she and a girlfriend went on a working trip around New Zealand in the 1950s um, so you know she she had that independent spirit she was a city girl and she got sick of bosses she was a secretary she got sick of these painful bosses so she saw a sign um, um you know become a herd test to see the countryside <laughs> you know like join the army see the world yeah. and she thought it had something to do with cows um <laughs> so she she did her training down the morning to peninsula and ended up in northern victoria where she met my dad so she was this kind of very uh, interesting shaped peg that didn't really fit in the round uh, farmer's wife hole uh, up there and uh, and she just said you know anything you set your mind to just do it so she's been fantastic so she taught me to draw as well um, so that that love of art so you know drawing horses you know with the shapes so you start with the you know the, the the main body shapes and and stuff like that I remember sitting at the kitchen table doing that with with her so I've got that kind of creativity but the practical construction side of things from both my parents so that was really great but little country high school um, there was only 200 kids all up you couldn't I wanted to do art because I loved art, but I loved science and nature and I couldn't do both. So um, they just clashed and I had to choose in about year 10, I suppose, or, you know, form four or whatever it was called then. 
Um, so I chose science instead of art. I thought I'd keep art as a hobby. I didn't know anyone who made a living out of art except for the art teacher at school. Yeah. So there were no role models. Um, so I chose, I chose science and, and had, you know, a 30 year career in natural resource management um, while doing art as a bit of a hobby on the side. So, but back then there was still segregated boys and girls. There were classes that boys did and classes that girls did. And I sure as hell didn't like needlecraft. <laughs> that didn't do it for me. I wanted to do woodwork and well, you know, metalwork. Um, and my girlfriend and I, uh, we fought, the, we took the school on in the 70s um, so that we could do woodwork and metalwork. Caused a lot of angst and upset with parents and teachers, but we won and we could do it, which was great. Um, oh, and yeah. the following year, I think the education department finally came round and made, you know, it equal right across the board. So we were quite loathed and detested by the boys because they had to do needlecraft the next year. <laughs> they were not happy. <laughs> but that's all right, you know, it, good skills to have. Absolutely. So yeah, that, that's sort of my, my background and going into science at that stage, it was a very blokey kind of enterprise. There were only a handful of girls. Um, in my course at uni, it was a very blokey thing. And then, you know, working in the water industry and natural resource management back then, it was very blokey as well. I did a stint at um, Monsanto um, down, down in Footscray, setting up, can you believe, the glyphosate plant there to make the active ingredient of Roundup, yep. which is, this makes me feel very old, which has since been decommissioned because it went through its whole life cycle and, and has been decommissioned. It's like, oh, God, I was there when it was built, <laughs> you know, doing the testing and monitoring for all of that. So, um, yeah, that, that was another interesting um, situation because there are about 600 on site and there are only about 20 women and most of those were executives, assistants, PA, secretarial and a handful in the laboratory. There were none out in the plants. So you had to wear all your gear, you know, your, your, your lab coats, your, your full trousers, long sleeves, boots, goggles, hard hat, you know, like you, you, you're just all geared up um, when you're on site, you know, outside. And the only way they could tell if you were, supposedly if you were female, was if you had a ponytail hanging out the back of your hard hat. But there was one guy who had a ponytail. So he used to get wolf whistled everywhere until they saw his face, you know, because he had a beard. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of a interesting place. And there were no women's showers or change rooms. There was only the men's big change rooms. And one day I had a chemical spill. Uh, yeah, I was doing, I, I was monitoring the vent the vents, so it was all the way upstairs to, to do the vent sampling and monitoring the effluent. So it's, you know, down in pits and getting samples out of pits. And I dropped a really horrible mix of benzene, styrene, ethyl benzene and toluene and it slipped out of my gloves and went right down my pants. So straight into the emergency shower out there. It was midwinter, freezing cold, first thing in the morning. The, the plant guys came racing out because as soon as the emergency shower goes, you know, the control room gets and they came out and I'm dripping and they go you got to get your gear off <laughs> and it's like no <laughs> I 
I'm not getting, I will take my pants off and you'll give me something to wrap around me, but I am not getting my whole gear off right now, I can tell you. Anyway, they took me to the, the nurse's station. That's when we found there's no showers. The only shower was the big main men's change room with no curtains, it's just all cubicles. And the nurses took me there and said, right, now you go in the shower, we'll bring you back some clothes and a towel. And I'm in there thinking, when shift change? <laughs> and I turned all the showers on really hot to make a lot of steam. <laughs> it was my own, I had nothing. <laughs> Where are you? You know, so it's this big echo. It, it, yeah, it was just, and you, we've come such a, a long, long way since then. It was just ridiculous to not have even just a private shower cubicle, you know, let alone to be having yeah. lady, you know, having women's some um, facilities. So there's learnings in all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what an amazing experience. Like groundbreaking for you to have to be in that environment, but well done. Like well, one of the, just an interesting Probably. aside here, um, they did put on a, a, an equal opportunity officer. It was right at that time when equal op the equal opportunity legislation came in and they put in an equal opportunity officer and she was this gorgeous, gorgeous young blonde woman who would, that, that complexion that would blush really easily. And... Every control room, you know, there were multiple sort of plants on site and every control room was just papered with new centrefolds. And when you sampled each, you had to go to the report to the control room for each of these places. And as a, a young, you know, a young woman going into these places with all these blokes and bloody Samantha Fox and her fake tits are all up all over the, <laughs> you know, the walls, it was really unpleasant. Um, and the Elaine, I think her name was, the Equal Opportunity Officer, tried desperately to get this change and she couldn't get any traction. So the girls, we had a cunning plan. She did a call out to bring all our Clio centrefolds in and she papered her office with all of these nude male centrefolds and she called in each plant, you know, management just to have a chat. Didn't mention anything about posters or anything like that. They didn't know where to look. The chat was just an inane little chat. All the posters came down. It was brilliant. What? That, that uh, she was fantastic. That was just so brilliant because they felt so uncomfortable being in her office with that all over the wall. They didn't know where to look or what to think. And I just love that as a creative way to solve a problem, an intractable problem that she just couldn't solve. She tried all sorts of ways to solve it and that worked a treat. It was fantastic. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's it. When conversation doesn't quite cut it, people don't understand how people are feeling. Yeah. Turning to creative solutions. That's awesome. <laughs> well done. What kind of artwork you're doing and where that comes from? Well, I, I started, I always did a lot of pencil, uh, you know, every hair on a koala kind of thing. So I was with the Wildlife Arts Society of Australasia for a while and exhibited there a couple of times when I lived and worked in Melbourne way back in the day. Um, but then, you know, life happened and I had a baby and I was working full time. And so I 
I didn't have time for a lot of that. I, I dabbled before that. I dabbled in oil painting and watercolors and just teaching myself and in my spare time as a hobby. Um, and so then when I came down here to Gippsland with, with baby, baby on board, you know, nothing like getting a job when you're pregnant, you know, <laughs> and then doing that whole thing, you know, yeah, yeah, it'll be right. You know, it'll be fine. Um, and so I took up uh, lino cut and printmaking because it's just one little piece of something and one tool and you can, you can do five minutes of it and then stick it on top of the fridge where little, little inquisitive hands can't reach it. Unlike having a big wet oil painting and oil paints everywhere. That's just not a good idea. <laughs> um, so I kept dabbling. Um, and then um, I'd been, Working, working. I'd been working at sort of executive management level, in natural resource management, and then middle management sort of level, coordinator level, so local government and state government and all those sorts of things. And I, I'm really interested in nature and I love the work, but it was getting a bit. I was getting worn down. You know, I was really getting worn down. I was in sustainability. We were going in a really good direction with dealing with climate change. And then governments changed and things got dismantled. Victorian public servants were banned from even saying the words climate change. Um, it was just horrendous. And I suppose I'd got to the point where boundless enthusiasm and diplomacy wasn't <laughs> really there anymore. <laughs> you know, it, it was just... There's a, I, I take my hat off to all of the scientists and all of the activists and all of the people out there who take a deep breath and keep themselves nice and keep, keep pushing at it. I couldn't anymore. I wanted to strap on the dynamite and blow the lot up, seriously. Um, and, and so it was wearing me down, all of the, you know, I was employed to do a job, but they didn't want me to, you know, so... <laughs> it's not joy, yeah. Uh, kind of bring that energy back into your life after. Yeah, and and you know, I have far more better things to do than waste my time doing something that I know is just going through the motions. I've never liked doing that. It's pointless. So that you know, if I see it as being pointless, I won't do it. But if I can see there being a reason, I will move heaven and earth to make it happen. So, right. so. Yeah. If they harness me appropriately, I can do great good. <laughs> and by gosh, if they thwart me, I can make their life very difficult <laughs> and unpleasant because I keep bringing them back to why I believe I'm there and why they have me there in the first place. And, and that, you know, when your CEO takes you aside after and say, you ask very difficult questions. And, and he did say, keep asking them. My position was made redundant. So that's why I made the jump four years ago, four and a half years ago now into my art. Um, so just, just before that though, I'd done, I, I, I had been kind of searching, thinking maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to go into some other sort of, um, um, you know, sector, maybe I need to get out of the environment for a while. I've got lots of transferable strategic planning skills, stuff like that. So um, I did the Gippsland, I was uh, lucky enough to um, be put into the Gippsland Community Leadership Program, which has run for over 20 years down here thinking well that'll expose me to a whole range of different sectors and it's a really good you know sort of 
personal and professional development, a bit of navel gazing, introspection, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what do I want to be when I grow up, you know? Transfer to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it just frustrated the heck out of me because, and I didn't know why at the time, but it was because I didn't actually want a job, any job in any sector. I actually wanted to pursue the things that I always wanted to do. <laughs> you know, which was my art, but I, my mind would not let me, uh, not let me accept that because I was on this, this route and these were my skills and this is how I earn my, you know, earn my living and, and pay for everything and, you know, build my, my future security. So I can't just abandon that. So I didn't even contemplate that, but we did, for the, the leadership program, we, we did visit an artist um, studio on a breezy hillside, sort of in the West Gippsland. And the, she, she had acreage and outlook and garden and studios. And I'm, you know, like it was, it was a real visceral sort of thing. My heart was pounding. I was in nearly in tears and I'm looking around thinking she's, She's got the life I, I always wanted, but I still couldn't make the connection that it's actually up to me to get the life I want. It yeah. doesn't, you know, I thought I'd missed the boat. I really thought I'd missed the boat. And I asked her, she had a successful career in um, events and public relations and stuff like that. And, and she jumped to her art. And I said, what, what was the catalyst? You know, what, 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 what was that trigger that, that made you make that leap? And she just sort of looked at me for a moment and said, I could feel time ticking. Oh. And, and at the, it was like this gong went off in my head, like a giant, I was then in a giant clock. And that's what I could, had felt. That's what had been happening. I could feel time ticking. I wasn't listening. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why I was so wound up and you know filled with angst and couldn't nothing seemed to you know whatever I thought of just wasn't going to cut it so I might as well stay where I am you know all of that sort of stuff there was um Doctor Who was on at the time and it was the drums and you know Saxon had there was always the sound of the drums and it was driving him well, it was part of the reason why he was nuts, you know, and it was this constant background track of the drums. Well, it was this constant ticking for me. It just kept on and on and on. So eventually I went, finished the, the course. Yeah, I was working. And uh, a dear friend who was my masseur, who listened to me whinge and moan and bleat and whine and carry on for years while she was fixing my back because of all the tenseness and I, you know, I needed fixing every week because I was just this bundle of knotted up angst. And she said, Joe, is any job worth it? Can you leave? Can you just leave? And I was laying there, you know, face in the hole, as you do. And I was laying there and I, I thought, well, yeah, I could actually. I, you know, like I've got, I'm now in a position where I do have a bit of a safety net. The mortgage is dealt with again and, you know, yeah, I could. And then I said, and I could take six months long service leave. And then I cringed because she also does hot rocks and 
I seriously, when I heard myself say that, I thought if I was her, I'd pick up one of those rocks and smack me over the back of the head. Seriously. I was saving the leave for something worthwhile, you know, the big trip for the massive renovation or the, the you know, whatever you do with your long service leave because you couldn't possibly take it just to have some time. I do those things that clearly you light up talking and doing the art, the, your, your artworks. So it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? That fight, that battle between what we think we should be doing, what kind of technically pays the bills in a, you know, that um, is an expectation of, of a job that can pay the bills versus something else that's a, seen as more risky, but also it's that fire and that, it, that drive. That calling. That calling, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, it, it's, it's totally, uh, and it's really weird. And, and the thing is, I am so glad. So I took the long service leave. I actually took seven months because I, I, I could take three months at half pay plus, you know, my annual leave. And I plan not to, plan anything wasn't allowed to plan anything so i taught myself to i bought a welder and taught myself to weld from youtube oh, beautiful. and i made some i made an arty sort of gate for the chook condo and thought hey this is cool i like this and then i did a white my brother kind of sent me this beautiful you know fantasy wire work fairy that uh, robin white in the uk does these amazing wire work fairies and he said oh you could make one of these so i did you know, <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is cool. And um, so then I, and then towards the end of the leave, I was living in town. My partner was still living in a, another town, sort of three quarters of an hour away. Yeah. Um, we were only doing weekends together. My, my son, we cleaned out my double garage and turned it into a lovely workshop studio. And then my son, who was in high school, decided to take up table tennis and needed somewhere to <laughs> practice. So there went our lovely studio. And we would just, and so we'd be on the phone, you know, weeknights just chatting away. And I'd have the local paper and say, like, oh, listen to this place, sheds, sheds, sheds. Oh, wouldn't that be marvellous? Sheds, sheds, you know. Yeah. And we, he found it. We had a look and it was totally the wrong place but that next week it must have got him thinking and he, he said oh you, you've still got a bit of time why don't you go have a look at this place and I came out to have a look it's 13 acres we've got a, a section of the most gorgeous river we're on the high ground we won't flood it floods the other way it's perfect location halfway in between. It's on a main road, but we're set back from the main road. So it's not like you've got to go up into the hills and, you know, it's just perfect. perfect. And um, yeah, within a week, we'd organised ourselves to buy it. Yeah. Which we weren't planning on doing. But it's amazing, isn't it? But when you create space for these things and often put, a little bit of energy, a little bit of space in that direction, things will come, things arise and it's beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here, we, we bought it, I went back to work and they'd already decided that perhaps my position was surplus to requirements because <laughs> they obviously didn't miss me in the seven months that I was gone. <laughs> and uh, it took my boss probably about four months to tell me Sure. Um, because he was, you know, I came back all excited. Oh, we just bought this place, hopped ourselves again, you know. <laughs> so he was really, oh, God, how do I tell her? Anyway, 
Um, I may, I thought that this place could be a bit of a, my son's got a few more years to finish high school, then I can go to part-time, I can set up, I can start pursuing my art part-time, you know, I've got the space out here. There was a bit of a long-term plan and then it went to, oh, okay. Yeah, do it now. <laughs> Both boots and all, you know, do I try and find another job, scramble back to the cliff after they pushed me off and find another job doing something that my heart really wasn't in and I knew it wasn't in? Um, or do I jump in boots and all and try and reimagine myself as an artist? I couldn't even say I was an artist. I do art, I dabble, you know, I do art, yeah. you know. Um, and so as part of the redundancy, there was some training, professional, you know, retraining. So I convinced them to, um, that that should go towards um, doing the um, Artist Transformation School with the Auspicious Arts Incubator. Brilliant. in Melbourne, which was fantastic. I, I love their byline at the time was helping artists get their business shit together. Because oh. I had no clue. I I, I, take I didn't have an art practice. I tried at different times, you know, there were a few times that I tried, but I, I, I didn't, I wasn't in the art ecosystem. I didn't know how it worked. And my style is realistic and representational. And back in the 90s, if it looked like anything, it wasn't art. Yeah. You know? sure. ah. <laughs> so I, I was just, it just didn't work back then. Um, but this, the course was fantastic because I could do it online. They, in, in my last, you know, the last months of work, I could also spend a day a week on this retraining. Yeah. So instead of grinding my teeth and being my pride and ego being wounded about, being made redundant, um, I could focus on this course, which was fantastic because it wasn't just about the nuts and bolts. It was about belief. It was about focus. It was about where you put your energy. Um, and, and so it dragged me into that positive space rather than battling the Absolutely. Ridiculous things that were happening, you know, from the HR level and how they were not reading the EBA properly and all of the rest of the thing. uh, being, things. Being productive with that time and energy and being able to direct it into something that you have been able to, your passion, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and made, um, I thought, well, I'm going to do a sculpt, I'm going to do big sculpture. And I'd never done big sculptures before. Mm -hmm. So I set myself up and um, I made a little, you know, sort of a, a flying horse the size of a cat as a, as a marquette, as a model. Right. And then I welded together the framework for a large, you know, two metre wingspan, two metre sort of tall um, flying horse. Um, and, and I purchased kilometres of wire because you could only purchase kilometres, that's all you could do like, from, from the big wire supply places in what I needed. And um, I spent the next nine months making this fantastic um, flying horse Pegasus um, out of mild steel rusting wire for the body and then stainless steel wire for the mane and tail and some of the, the horse feathers in the wings. And... Yeah. I called it my leap of faith and she still watches over my studio. And I thought, well, I can make a big sculpture. I learned a lot about structural integrity and engineering um, 
doing that. And then I thought, right, I've made my mark. I know I can do this. I like this. I've still got a lot of wire. So then I thought about it and I made a pair of fighting life-size fighting kangaroos up on their tails going before with each other. It's about a kilometre of wire in those two. And I made them so that I could pull them apart, put them together, transport them, set them up, that they were safe and stable and all the rest of it. Uh, and I decided that I was going to show those at the Melbourne um, International Flower and Garden Show Outdoor Sculpture Exhibition. Fantastic. And I did. And I had a, 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 an unveiling, a sort of a coming out as an artist locally here at a winery. Um, and there was, there was music, there was dancing, there was speeches of the local ABC radio dude interviewed me, did a, an artist talk interview. I, I, I just called in. I just organised it like I would kind of a farm field day because yeah. that was my experience. I didn't know about gallery openings and stuff like that. So I did it like a one-off farm field day. And a lot of artists came, sort of artists, acquaintances, acquaintances of friends and go, oh, so it's on exhibition here. I was oh, like, no, I'm taking it. her home tomorrow morning, you know. <laughs> it's like, ah. Oh, <laughs> like, you out as an artist and, and took that title. That's it. <laughs> Sometimes the titles <laughs> are the hardest to own, but taking it on and, and being able to use that label is really Yeah. Important. Yeah. So it's been pretty full on since then. And, and I, I did really good you know, for three years based on my plan and energy and energy. And then I kind of wore out a bit, didn't I, last year after a whole string of big projects. So, um, yeah, that, that was, that's been an interesting kind of reassessment. Okay, you can do a lot of things, but what is it that you really want to do? You, you, you've done that, you've exhibited there, you, 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 you've got a grant and you've got a public sculpture, you, you're doing all these sorts of things, but what do you want to do? What is it that you really want to do and why are you resisting some things? You know, like why are you going, oh, How do we work yeah, I could that? do that love to chat more about your experience with PMT and those kind of yeah. side of things. Yeah. But I'm so, yep. that's an amazing story. I really, I've learned so much, um, <laughs> really, and it's super inspiring. 